Good morning to all of you. Um, this morning, uh, we're going to preach the gospel. You guys ready? I was worried because there's like a lot on my heart this morning. I'm like, I don't know if this fits together. And I just felt like the Lord said, well, this is just the gospel. Oh, maybe, maybe. Maybe that's all it is. Um, let me have my brother Tito come up here. Tito? Sir? I just wondered if you could pray for me and for this service. Lord, we just thank you. You are here. Jason has been given your word and given him the fluidity to, to be able to express it with no hindrances. Anything in his life, anything in his mind, we just ask that you just overcome that and just are able to flow freely through us, through the words that you speak to us through Jason. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. Just going to get more. Whoop, that's still on. Just going to uh, get more fluidity here. We're going to go through our core values. We took a break last week to talk about compassion. We're back. I'm supposed to just teach on core value number five today, and I realized I can't just do number five without doing number six. We are sons and daughters first was the first one. Uh, the, the next ones are our sin separated us from God, and Christ redeems us, and what a bummer it is to just talk about sin and not talk about redemption. So <laughs> we're going we're gonna to link both those together because that's, well, that's kind of the gospel. So here we go. Um, we're sons and daughters of God, and our Father has an enemy. It's pretty basic, isn't it? Our Father has an enemy. Now, Satan's goal is not necessarily to turn everyone into Satan worshipers. I don't think that's actually super high on his agenda. In fact, a lot of times I think he likes to remain invisible. There was a great fictional character, a fictional villain in the 1990s uh, in a movie who, who made this statement, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he did not exist. Satan's goal oftentimes is to remain invisible. All he wants to do is to separate us from our Father. That's it. Anything, he can use anything for that. You know, you know what he uses? He uses all sorts of things. Sometimes he uses good things like ministry. Do you know how many people get sucked into ministry and they get taken away from God? You can throw yourself into anything. Now he uses uh, uh, some, some pretty, uh, pretty simplistic tools, uh, but he's been using them for a very long time, and they're actually, unfortunately, fairly effective. He wants us to leave home. He wants us to leave our Father. Anything that, that he can, he can uh, present us with that will do those things are good enough. And, and here uh, are the three tools that he uses, the three tools of temptation. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. This is a theme that, that is all the way through Scripture. You will see it over and over again in the Old and New Testament. 
You also see it throughout the history of Israel as they fell into idolatry with three main deities. You had Baal, Ashtaroth, and Moloch, and they corresponded perfectly to these three. Ashtaroth would represent the lust of the flesh, the, the, the desire for experience, particularly sexual experience, but it would not, not at all related only to that. It would be any kind of experience that goes beyond, uh, uh, in, uh, 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 outside the limits of what God has set. And, and excess to the limits that he has set. Lust of the eyes, that would, that would be Baal, the God who would, who would give uh, uh, prosperity, who you'd sacrifice to in order to gain things, that kind of stuff. Uh, the lust of the eyes is the desire for more, to own more, to possess more, to have more, the newest shiny things. The boastful pride of life has to do with the, the way uh, uh, that we are thought of and admired. It has to do with desire for, for excess admiration and power. All of these things, uh, uh, the appetites in themselves are not bad, are they? Are we created with a need for admiration? Well, yeah. For appreciation? Well, yeah. In fact, we're sons and daughters of the king. Therefore, he created us as royalty to rule and reign with him. That's, isn't that power? That's not a bad thing. It's also not a bad thing to have things. God created a beautiful world. He wants us to have the things that we need and, and even the things that we like. You know, there's no scientific reason for us to have taste buds. Why do we have taste buds? I think it's because God said, hey, this would be cool. They'd enjoy this. And then he gives us strawberries. <laughs> awesome. Strawberries are not a gift if you don't have taste buds. He wants us to have good things. He wants us to experience good things. God created sex. Everyone's got quiet at that word. Like, <laughs> can he say that? Is that okay? Should we text Pastor Joshua? <laughs> no. Are we good? Well, Pastor Red's here. I'll make sure he doesn't say that word again. It's something God created. It's a good thing. But a desire for any one of these things, uh, uh, out of proportion or out of uh, uh, the, the loving limits that God has set on them, is sin. It is saying to God, well, this is not enough. It is not enough. I, I reject the limits you've put on this thing, and I want to call the shots here. That's what sin is. Sin is a rejection of the kingship of God. Because it says, no, your rules do not apply to me. I would like to be the one to call the shots. And it's just one of these three tools. I think you could sum up any sin that you can think of is going to fall into one of those three categories. And I bet every single one of us, when you see this list, has one thing that sticks out and goes, yeah, that was mine. I still struggle with that. Probably a combination of all three, if we're all honest. But I bet that, that we, knowing ourselves, can look at this and say, that's the one that he's used on me. That's the one that has worked on me. That's the one that I have to come back to him and say, Lord, help me. Does anyone else relate to that? Okay. So those are, are the three simple tools that the enemy uses. Um, 1 John gives this warning, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father,
but it's from the world. These are not what the Father has given. These are, this is, this is the world. The part that we're not supposed to love, that we're not supposed to engage in. Does the world around us do it? Yes. But we are not called to do that. He has something better for us. And that better thing is living in the way, uh, uh, is, is living with him. With him in his mansion, not outside of it. Under his kingship, not under our own. Wiki Prattney used to say this. He used to maybe pull somebody on the audience. I'll say Josiah, just because I just looked at him. Josiah, <laughs> I, sir, would like to see if it's all right if from now on, instead of you making decisions, I'll make your decisions. Like all of them. Like what you're going to have for lunch and dinner and what you're going to study and where you're going to go to school. And also, who you're going to marry. Good one. I like it. That's good. What you're going to name your kids when you have them. Would you mind if I did that? Yes? That's not the way the analogy is supposed to go here. This is an illustration. Let's try it again. Tyler, I want to do those things. Will you please let me do them? Why not? Why not? It's not a good idea. Am I qualified to make those decisions for him? You know what else? You're not qualified to make my decisions for me, right? I'm not qualified to make your decisions. So why in the world would I think I'm qualified to make my own decisions? I don't know anything. I don't know the things that I really want, the things that I really need. But here we have a king who created us with design requirements and knows everything that we need, who knows the way that we're supposed to function. So, these three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, they've been devastating, absolutely devastating. Sin brings death. Now, in the Bible, death you know, people, people didn't see, the ancients in general didn't see death as something that was the end, the way that we do today in the materialist West. And I use that in the, like, the philosophical sense of the, word, of, the, of the idea, like, all that exists is the material world. That's, that's like the predominant worldview that we have in the West. Well, that's completely new, really, as a, any kind of popular worldview. People always thought that when you die, you don't just end, that there's more stuff that we can't see that's beyond the physical. Death was separation of, of the soul from the body. That's physical death. Spiritual death is separation of man from his creator. So over and over again, we see that. The law of sin and death. He told Adam, when you sin, you will die. It did not mean he will keel over that very minute. It means he will then be separated, which is unfortunate. Sin brings separation. It doesn't just, uh, you know, it's sort of like this. We, we use this analogy of living in the Father's mansion. It's not that sin brings separation per se. I mean, that's, that's one way to say it. Uh, but I think it might even be more accurate to say it this way. Sin is the separation. It actually is the separation. Now think about this just in practical terms. Think about this, we'll say we'll use the example of the prodigal son. You have a father and a son who lives in his house. 
Now, what does the son say? The son says, you know what, Dad? I know you had something for me, uh, which is inheritance, but I actually want that now. I don't want it according to your timetable, and I don't want it with you around. What a terrible slap in the face that was. He was telling him, I would rather you be dead and me have the money. Horrible, horrible thing. And I would rather call all my own shots and not live under your roof. So what I'm going to do is I am going to choose the lust of the eyes, and I'm going to choose the pride of life instead of you. And here's what he did. He walked away. Separation. See, because his father's over here. Pretty simple, isn't it? Here's what sin is. Sin is saying, hi, Dad. Uh, no. <laughs> there it is. It's not like there's some, like, brick wall that, that's been built there. It's you walked away. Does this make sense? You walked away. That's why there's separation. He didn't leave you. God did not leave you. Consider that while I take more fluidity. That's what happened with the prodigal. Separation. I'm going to change metaphors briefly here. The predominant metaphor that we have in Scripture is a father and sons and daughters, but there's another one that he uses quite often, which is uh, like husband-wife metaphor. Most of you are familiar with the story of Hosea, but I was captured again by it. Here's the story in a nutshell. You've got a man who was a good man. He was a godly man. He was a preacher, probably the most predominant preacher of his day. Um, so uh, God calls him to go down to the brothel and to get a wife and he does he puts his entire reputation on the line completely and obeys God and he brings home this young lady named Gomer and he loves her and he cleans her up this would, she would have been in a really bad situation before just awful 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 he brings her in and cleans her up and he goes and buys her new dresses and perfume and scented soap. And he loves her, and he, he cooks dinner for her. And, and he, he, he builds her a sunroom on the back of their home. And he talks sweetly to her. And he really genuinely has affection for her, not just because God said, go do this thing. And they become close over time as she's able to trust him. And, and then they have children together, and they're a family. And things are good. He's out preaching in the fields one day when a messenger runs to him. That's the way I imagine it anyway. And says, your children are alone. Where's your wife? He runs home and finds his house is a complete disaster. His kids are screaming. They're scared. They're dirty. He's looking everywhere, and he cannot find his wife. She's gone. He asks around. Nobody's seen her. He gets something in his stomach, a little pain in his stomach. He doesn't want to think about that. Where is she? He continues to look up and down to their friends' homes. She's nowhere. And finally, he knows the truth. He can feel it in his gut, and he finds out she's gone back to her old life. He's seen the signs. He's been worried it might happen. 
and she's gone away. She left. Separation. She walked out of the home and chose her other lovers instead of her husband. Separation. And in the process, people get hurt. This is the tragedy of sin. People think, well, as long as they don't hurt anybody, it's not a big deal. Well, see, the thing is, there's no such thing as a sin that doesn't hurt anyone. Here, in this example, you can see it so clearly. She hurts everyone. She hurts her husband. You know, the pain of, of, of you know, our, grief is proportional to intimacy. If you really love someone, you're going to hurt way more than if you don't really love someone over here. You see what I'm saying? Grief is proportional to intimacy. Every one of us has someone who loves us more than we can possibly fathom, who loves us infinitely. How much pain does he feel when we walk away from him? With that level of intimacy, you guys, his heart grieves for you. His heart grieves for me when I walk away. Sin always hurts. It hurts him first of all. It hurts other people. Think of the situation with the poor children, how they must have felt. I'm sure they had to go through some counseling after this if they had that in ancient Israel, which they probably didn't, but they should have had some counseling. Because how terrible would that be? Some of you guys have experienced things similar to this. Terrible. You felt the, the sting of having parents that weren't there for you when you desperately needed them. And sin hurts ourselves too. What was she doing to herself? What kind of pain was she putting herself in? Sin leads to destruction. We weren't meant to live on our own outside of our father's home. We were meant to live with him. And the surrounding protective, intelligent, beautiful comfort of his home. We weren't designed to be outside of that ever. And here we have this lady who's run away. Who's hurt everyone around her. She chose it herself. She took the tools of the enemy that were in front of her. She chose the lust of the flesh over her husband. Sin worked. It, it worked the same way that it does with us. When you choose to be your own boss, you walk away from him. <clears throat> Fortunately, there's this thing called redemption. I've shared this before. This is one of my favorite concepts that I've learned in the past five years. Redemption and what this actually meant in biblical times. In Israel's tribal society, Redemption was the act of a patriarch that is the leader of his clan, of his, of his tribe, of his big family. When the patriarch who put his own resources on the line to ransom a family member who had been driven to the margins of society. That could have happened by poverty or uh, maybe someone seized, or maybe they were seized by an enemy against whom they had no defense. Or who found themselves enslaved by the consequences of a faithless life. Redemption was the means by which a lost family member was restored to a place of security within the kinship circle. They were outside of the comfort and the protection and the love of that family. And the patriarch, the one who is in charge, says, No! I don't want you outside of that protection. I don't want you outside of our love. I want you in here. 
And at great cost to himself, he brings them back in. That's what redemption is. And here we see it with Hosea and what he does. Because he finds out where his wife is. That she's gone, not only gone back into her lifestyle, but now she's been so abused and so torn, she's being sold now as a slave. And he sees her from afar, and every, all, all the town has been chirping about this. And we, you see what happened? What's he going to do? He marches straight through the crowd, doesn't look at anyone. They think, oh, he's mad. He comes right up there as the bidding starts, and he raises his hand, and he bids more than anyone else in that thing. And she steps down. They say, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Is he going to beat her? He could have done that in those days. Nobody would have batted an eye. It was a terrible day for, to be a woman. Is he going to beat her? Is he going to turn her? What's he going to do? She comes to him. He puts his arm around her, and he brings her home. He buys her a new dress. He makes her dinner. He loves her. Redemption. He pays a high price himself to bring her back to where she was supposed to be all along, inside the family circle. That is redemption, friends. That's what that is. In the same way, He paid the ransom with his own blood. He brought us back into the kinship circle, back into our father's house after we had walked away. He unlocked the gate to his mansion. He ended the death. He ended the separation. He forgave the destruction we caused. He restored us to our identity and to our purpose. He adopts us back into the family that we left. Once again, we're his sons and his daughters. He's healed our wounds. He helped us to learn to forgive. He made us new. That is redemption. But there's more. He left the gate open. He left the gate open. It's never going to be locked again. The ransom he paid was the only ransom he will ever need to pay. He died one time, once for all. He shed his blood one time. He will not turn you out, friends. He will not lock the gate for you. So what about these things most of us have been through this. We understand the basic hope of the gospel. We've been gone. He brings us back. He loves us, just like Hosea. Maybe you've never experienced any of that before. Maybe you've never been born again. Maybe you've never come back into this mansion. Those doors are open, and he's calling you. For most of us in this room, we have gone through that process. And we look at this, we look at these three things, and part of us still aches a little bit. Part of us still aches. These things are not master over you. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, they are no longer master over you, friends. He is your father, 
He is your king. If you have given yourself to him, you are no longer a sinner. You are a saint who sometimes sins to steal a word from my dear red crab. Do you see the difference? This is actually one of the things that gets to me. I hate this thing where people constantly have to say, I'm so, I'm so wretched, I'm so uh, wretched man that I am. Like we're living in Romans 7 as if that's what Paul was trying to tell us we were supposed to live. And he wasn't. He was demonstrating the life of a Pharisee. A person who didn't have the Holy Spirit was trying to be good by the law only. If you do that, you will end up wretched man that I am. But this is not for us. He's called us to something different, something better. He's called us to a greater hope than that. He's called us to a greater hope than we can imagine. He's called us to a greater hope where these things are not mastered over us ever again. But if we're honest with ourselves, these things still have pull, don't they? We're in the process of being sanctified again, just like Gomer coming home. And you know your hang-ups, I know my hang-ups, we all have them. So what do we do about those things? The world tells us it's not a big deal. But it is a big deal for this reason alone, guys. It can lead you back into darkness. Here's what John says. Let me explain. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That's a heavy word, isn't it? We say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness. We lie and do not do the truth. He's not talking about individual sins here that you turn from. He's talking about chosen walking in darkness. Chosen walking in sin where you know the truth and you say, you know what? I don't care and I'm going to stay here. Because everybody has problems. You've got problems. You've got sin in your life. You, get, you sometimes make mistakes. Well, so do I. And this is just my thing. So I'm just going to stay right here. And I'm going to choose to walk in darkness. John says this. You're not actually in fellowship with God. That's not an option for us as sons and daughters of the king. Can't do that. You know why? Because he's not there. There's no darkness in him at all. So if you're walking in darkness, you're not walking with him. You see, he's in the light. He's not, he's not out here. So if you're walking out here, you come back to the light. But if we walk in the light, here's the good news. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that a beautiful promise? Friends, we must learn to love the light. We need to be a people who love the light and are quick to confess our sins. The worst thing you can do as a son or a daughter of God is keep hidden sin hidden. It is the single worst thing I believe that you can do. Maybe I'm overstating it, but I don't know if I am. This is the way to destruction. But if you confess your sins, see, that's humility. To go to a brother or sister and say, I messed up. I'm having difficulty here, and I need help. 
That is precisely what he's talking about. If you confess your sins, if you bring it to the light and say, forgive me, Lord, I need help, Jesus Christ is faithful to continue to forgive you. You guys, the gate is not locked. There is no reason to stay separate from him. He has redeemed you. He's brought you home. I invite you then to stay in the light. Bathe yourself in the light. If there's hang-ups that you have that you haven't let out, I challenge you this morning in the name of Christ to expose those things to the beautiful light of the Holy Spirit. There are those around you Go to someone who, who has walked with him for longer than you. Go to someone who, who, who doesn't struggle in that same area maybe and say, I need help. We have elders in this church and we have people who, who have been elders and we have mothers and fathers in this church left and right and I urge you by the mercies of God to open up your heart. To not be afraid of intimacy but to invite the light of the Holy Spirit, that flashlight, to search you. It is the single greatest thing that you can do. And he will lead you then into victory. Is it going to be hard? Yeah. Are you going to still fall? Well, quite possibly. But more and more, he's going to walk with you to learn to walk like your father, to learn to walk like Christ who didn't fall. I'm going to play a song this morning. The song just absolutely ruined me. And I want you just to sit and soak in the words here. And last week, we opened up the front to come home. I'm just going to offer the same thing. I felt like I needed to offer the same thing. If the Lord's calling you home, if you're feeling that, I need to get right with him, come. Here, just treat this like it's an altar right here. Just come and tell him. Just You can just like... Tell him like you're just stacking rocks inside your heart, sitting him right there, and tell him. He's a good father, and he's calling us home. Come out of hiding, you're safe here with me. There's no need to cover what I already see. You've got your reasons, but I hold your peace. You've been on lockdown, and I hold the key. Cause I loved you before, you knew it was love, and I saw it all. Still, I chose the cross, and you were the one that I.
Oh, as you run, what hindered love will 